Hello folks, thank you again for joining me today on my show. Um, obviously, uh, I have a great guest on today, uh, one of my great friends, and I'm very excited to be doing a trip with him later on this, I guess you could say fall. Uh, yeah, it would be fall. Um, we are going to Oktoberfest. He and a couple of uh, my other college buddies and I were all going to be going out there for a week. Uh, going to get to experience something. I, I, you know, I would say once in a lifetime. So uh, super excited for that. Um, his name is John Bowles. He is from the Miami area, Boca Raton area in uh, Florida, and uh, we met in college. And uh, so to introduce himself, uh, here he is, Bear Jew. What's up, guys? Glad to be on the show, Kyle. Thanks, man. I, I, I've been track, trying to track you down for a couple weeks here to get you on. Uh, I've been excited to have you on. And um, in college, I would say we were notorious for having great debates, uh, albeit also very unnecessarily long-winded. But um, they also were usually fueled by, uh, you know, alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, alcohol was definitely always uh, in our corners, whispering sweet nothings. Just kind of jump right into this thing. I I want to start with what do you, what today has got you heated? What was something that got you heated today? Ooh, got me heated. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's been it's been not maybe not just today, but the last short while. If you want to bring up what got me heated. because that was one of the topics that we were actually going to be able to discuss with it. I guess it could just be a great segue. Um, yeah, that that also did irritate me. Um, especially because, it, I, I mean, to me at least, logically, it didn't line up. Like, that, it, that had nothing to do with anything that he is protesting. Not, not only that, but it made no sense time. You know, the creator of that flag with Betsy Ross, not only, you know, one, one of the most influential women, in, you know, the founding of America, but a, a, an abolitionist herself and entrepreneur. She's, I, she's been a feminist hero for, for years, for decades. So this is, this is just, you know, the, you know, people on the left attacking other groups on the left. They're attacking a, a, a hero, a folk hero for the, Revolution of the United States. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I mean, but... I, I mean, at least from what I've been seeing a lot of lately is... I feel like the radical part of the Democratic Party is starting to become so big now. And the people who are, I would say, more moderate are afraid to say something and they don't really want to stand up to it because at the same time they also want their votes but it's starting to get to that point where it's overtaking the party in my opinion well this, this isn't really the democratic party this is just by you know culture it's part of like the culture awards are coming in right now 
Kaepernick is not, not someone that really should have a type of say. The, the guy that uh, you know came out in support of Fidel Castro before coming to play in a game in Miami. I mean, obviously the guy doesn't really understand geopolitics or history in, in, in general. So I just don't think he should be someone that should be under control of our our culture. Yeah, but these all these celebrities do, and that's that's like where the big issue lies, is. They come out and they'll, they'll say things that don't necessarily make sense, but it's a, hey, look at me, look how good of a person I am. And they're just thinking so emotionally and not necessarily logically. Well, yeah, that's why I like someone like Kanye, because, you know, he might say some crazy shit and he might be you know, a little bit out there, of course, but just having a voice that isn't exactly the same and, you know, it. Uh, coming from, you know, an artist or athlete. You know, we hear the same message from every artist and athlete that comes out. It's nice to hear a different message and have, like, some diversity of thought in, in, the, in pop culture. I think there's a lot of people out there, though, who would probably want to say something but just can't. Uh, Kanye is just at a point in his career where he has a big enough backing, I guess you could say, where he's not really worried about it, so where he can actually go out and vocalize what he's saying and what he believes, even if it's against the grain. Yeah, absolutely, totally. totally. Uh, I think uh, he's pretty much says exactly what he wants to say. Uh, <laughs> it does not care. Yeah, he's like he's a uh, he's Trump esque, if you will. He sometimes he says things that he probably should have just kept his mouth closed on. Sometimes he says things that are brilliant. Sometimes he says things that are, uh, you know, I would say a bit wild and out there. And then he says genuine things as well. So, I mean, you never know. I mean, you always know where, you know, you stand with him. That's that's where at least it's, I guess you could say, beneficial. Right, right. So is that how you always start your show? What pissed you off today? No, no. No, uh, normally, sometimes I just kind of like, I don't know, I just, whatever I'm feeling. But today I was, so something uh, pissed me off today on Twitter. Um, oh, really? Yes. I want to hear about that. I, so I don't go on Twitter often. I, I'm going to pair, I'm going to preface this. But so I went on Twitter and I don't go on often because Twitter to me is kind of like the Wild West of our generation. <laughs> People just say erroneous shit, get heated, and if it gets bad enough, you can have hundreds of thousands of people hate you for something so unnecessary. And anyways, so I do go on there, but I went on there and I'm I'm thumbing through and I see this guy tweets a picture of this white guy sleeping on a plane sprawled out in all three seats and he goes he okay. ca- and he captions it white privilege even if i could i just wouldn't oh and does like the shaking my head and it pissed me the fuck off dude you take what first of all why are you taking a picture of a dude just sleeping on the plane minding his own business and then you're going to go do it to start some, what, social justice on Twitter? Like, that guy's doing literally nothing to you. And 
everybody yeah, in the fucking wild. world sleeps on a plane like that. Yeah, that's part of it. Everyone's looking to be a victim. Everyone wants to, you know, blame something on, on someone else. Uh, and, you know, the, the recent target has definitely been, you know, white people. You know, everything's white people's fault. Um, in this scenario, I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. I think anyone who would get on a plane uh, would want there to be nobody sitting next to them. And trust me, if there was two NPCs next to me, I would totally lay down. I think that pretty much goes any race. I mean, most races would, would take advantage of all that space just to the attic. Yeah, if, in my opinion, if you're a person, you're, you're doing that. <laughs> if you're just a living human being, why wouldn't you? You have two extra seats. I do that every single time I have a flight. Southwest, sometimes you can get those flights where it's a very small flight. You get a full row. Bet your oh, yeah, fucking ass I am sprawling out and laying down and sleeping like a king. Yeah, I mean, we're both big guys, tall guys, so... Yeah. I mean, I would be absolutely thrilled, man. I mean, I'm usually the, the one who's most uncomfortable. Yeah, it generally... Uh, uh, my, my tall privilege. And if I... Exactly. I get stuck <laughs> in the middle... I get stuck in the middle seat. I just want to jam a pencil in my eye. It's miserable. I hate the middle seats. It's like the bane of my existence is the middle seat. You know what you gotta do? You know, next time you go flying, when you check your bag, you gotta make sure to ask if you can sit in the emergency row. Because they can just assign it to you. And that's why I always do, and it works out. Yeah, but the problem is, is I. The problem is, I fly uh, Southwest a lot. And. Okay. They don't. So that's like, you know, they're the just first come, first serve type of thing. So I don't get that benefit. Uh, reason being, uh, uncle's a pilot, so I get free flights. Or not uncle, brother-in-law uh, is a is a pilot, so I get free flights, and I have a credit card through them, so I get miles. So. Uh, well, good for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> My first topic I want to talk about today too is uh, the women's World Cup. Um, okay. Couple of things have. I haven't brought to my attention that I have opinions on. Um, first of all, I want to congratulate the U.S. Uh, women's national team for winning the World Cup again. Phenomenal feat. Not to just win it once, but then back-to-back. That's incredible. Uh, and as an athlete, you know how much that means to them. And, uh, you know, winning anything is always fun. Winning something of that level is something only a very small amount of people will ever feel. And they've obviously worked their asses off to get to where they are and do what they did. So congrats to them. Um, My first thing I want to talk about with the whole event um, is the Alex Morgan teacup sipping thing. And maybe this is a little stupid and a little too brief and mainstream to talk about, but... It honestly really annoyed me. Um, I have a couple of opinions on this. One, I don't like how Alex Morgan kind of made it like about men and women. I thought that was stupid. Uh, there was no need. I think, in all in all uh, in all honesty, like what she did 
I fully support. I totally support what she did. You're talking shit. Who gives a fuck? That's part of sports. People talk yeah, shit. She's talking. Yeah. All, people yeah. talk shit all the fucking time. And that's part of the game. And you know what? If she played England again, I would tell her to do it after every great pass she had. I would tell Alex Morgan to do that. Fucking yeah. talk shit. Who gives but a fuck? I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think you're right. And what validates that for me is my girl Sophie Turner saw Stark uh, for those of you. Yeah. Um, she came out and defended Alice Morgan on that one uh, and said, you know, congratulations. You know, you deserve that. You won. If, uh, that's why, uh, you know, you, as an athlete, you can't get upset with people talking to you. It's like, if you want to shut them up, beat them. So yeah. if, if they didn't want her to talk, if they didn't want her to celebrate, they should have beaten them. They weren't as good. So uh, I actually like that. You know, it brings out a little bit of emotion. Um, it, it makes the game a little more entertaining. Like, it shows these people are human beings. They're not robots. You know, really? they, they, everyone celebrates. Everyone gets happy. Everyone's excited, you know. Uh, that's why I love with the NFL, you know, adding in the celebrations after, after the touchdown. Like, people are you know, hyped up, you know. It, it, it's a huge deal to score a goal in the, in the uh, Women's World Cup. Same as this, a huge deal to score a touchdown in the NFL. It's not easy. If anybody was easy, anybody would do it. And not only that, too, but what perfect timing, too, right be- right before – how brilliant. Right before our 4th of July against England, our biggest rival, how – like the brilliance of that celebration is magnificent. I mean, tip of the cap to you, Alex Morgan. Uh, that was a great celebration. Like that, that's- yeah, I got to say, I'm what? totally team Alex Morgan. I'm with you. A hundred percent. Honestly, like, I, that should go down, in my opinion. That should go down as, like, a, a top 50 all-time trash talks, you know, up there with, like, Muhammad Ali moments, stuff like that. Like, that's an Like, just everything about it was great. It was right before her it, – it was. I think it was actually on her birthday, too, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know that one. Pretty I'm right. pretty sure it was her birthday or the day before, but then it's also right before – the 4th of July against England where we de- uh, against who we declared our independence from and then we be- beat them in their sport dude love it everything about it was just so beautiful that was, that was one of the greatest trash talks of all time yeah man I mean uh, like, you, like you were saying I think this woman's soccer team is absolutely incredible like the hard work they put in uh, it's not only showing on the field but it's showing on the sidelines. Just the absolute support and for a woman's sport, I think it's actually huge. Like, I think it's a big deal for a woman in, uh, in America. I think it, it shows a lot, you know, a lot of progress that we've made in our society that this could be as popular as it is in our country. Yeah. It's more popular than men's. It really is. Yes. And... I would say we are one of the, you know, I, I, I kind of want to say, you know, with the whole unequal pay, like I, this is also a topic of this that I want to get into. Um, I don't think that there should be because it's not a sexism thing as much as it's just an economic thing. But here's the thing. I, could, I think you can argue it's a case-by-case thing as well because – I think you could argue that the women's national team here in the U.S. should get paid more than the men's. 
because I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the numbers, but I think the women pull in more revenue than the men's national team does, particularly the last two or three years because the men's team has been so terrible. Yeah, listen, I, I, I agree with you. I think it should be not forced equality, but in this scenario, I think it, it, it's about equal. Like, as far as, maybe I don't know, I don't have the best barometer of, of the country, but like, as far as I go, I'd honestly prefer to watch a women's national soccer game than I would a men's for us. I, I think that's more entertaining at this point. Um, the men's have been despicable you know, of half well, it, it, that's also the reason you can kind of see that as a lopsided one too because our women's national team we're probably actually going to win something we know we know the the odds of our men's national team winning a world cup is not very high so nobody supports them it, it's not women like men's soccer is not taken seriously in the US women's soccer is because they're good i mean they've been good though since the early 90s yeah, it's consistent success that, that, that you know, they'll come up with this. That, but, like, for this, that sport, that I would say, if the numbers come back and, like, the ratings are staying, you know, they should get paid the same. Um, it, it's all about, like, the money you're bringing in. Like you said, economics. Yes, but here... you more money, you but, deserve more money. Exactly, but here's my... But here's what I'm saying about the, about the World Cup, though. Because, so, this is a FIFA tournament, they're saying that they want all the women's national team to be paid as much as the as the men, and they want the purse to be as big. But they're not bringing in the revenue for the tournament as a whole. Now, the amount of revenue that the women's national team here in the U.S. is, you could argue, um, the exception, not the rule. Because they're one of the few countries that sells out more than the men. Yeah, yeah you're, you're absolutely right about that. I get soccer the most, you know, uh, popular sport around the world. Exactly, so and you go to uh, Europe yeah, and, and it's the men's soccer. Yeah, not the women's in, in Europe. Exactly, and those national teams are going to be taken way more seriously than the the women's national team, and it's not. It's not at fault to anybody, really. It's just the fact that, honestly, it's just one's a way better at it, at the sport than the other. That's just the point. Right. And they're bringing in more revenue. Right. And, and uh, you're right. Like the FIBA purse probably should, you know, should be forced equal pay because that's based on your know, ratings for FIBA as a whole. That's based on like the money that they generate from from that World Cup from their tournaments. Um, and if they're not making the same money as, you know, the FIFA men is, it should be, you know, the purses are based off that size, the, the amount of money, the revenue that the tournaments bring. But as far as jersey sales, ticket sales over here in the U.S., I mean, at this point, I don't see a reason why the men's team making more. I don't, I, uh, I just, the popularity is, is, is pretty equal at this point um, as far as women's events. If not, you know, it, it comes to the women's. Now, I... I, I will admit, I don't know the numbers of what they're getting paid versus the women's. Um, if the women aren't being paid as much as the men, I, w- I mean, I'm mean, I, I, sorry, I'm, stall- I'm not stalling because I disagree. I'm stalling because like, I'm trying to think of all the ways they would get paid. Endorsements. 
through, I, I would assume the U.S. national team would also pay them. Right. Um, I, I feel like just those two ways, I, I would imagine. But I, I would ima- I would yeah. say if they're bringing in more revenue, yeah, definitely the U.S. national team should be paying should be paying um, the women more on as a base salary if they even are allowed to do that. I don't know because I know like you know how the Olympics that they get all their money, the Olympians get all their money through endorsements. I don't I don't know if the U.S. national teams for soccer is like that, but if yeah, I mean yeah, all these girls are gonna get big endorsements now, like Rapinoe and. Uh, Alex Morgan, especially them, but even a bunch of a couple of other girls, um, they're looking at big endorsement deals. I, they're, you know, they're they're awesome. They're incredible. Yeah, they, they I, just I would I would say definitely here they deserve to get paid more. And if the, the men start pulling in more revenue and they start playing better and they're starting to pull in more and bigger and higher numbers, then hey, they deserve to get paid more too. Then. Just the way it goes, but right now I would agree that the women do deserve to get paid more, at least here in the U.S. Um, and then endorsements—that's up to the discretion of whoever the advertiser is. Right, right. What what bothers me, I would say, uh, is when people try to make the argument that you know the WNBA players should just start making more money, you know, you know, start making as much money as they can, because you know the the minimum. Player in the NBA gets paid the same as like the active player in the WNBA. But the thing is, the WNBA actually loses money every year. And it's only the only reason it hasn't gone bankrupt is because the NBA has been subsidizing the WNBA. So they legitimately can't afford to pay that more because they're not making money off the games. They're losing money. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it's a it's a dying sport. I mean, look at them now. I mean, it, they're they're trying, they're doing anything to get money to where they're now having ads all over their jerseys. I mean, they have now they're like the, they're like soccer teams. Soccer teams generally have like a a giant sponsor on the front of their jersey. Um, that's like what the WNBA is doing. I mean, they're, they're they're doing anything for money. They they need it, but yeah, no, I don't know how they can sit there and argue that they're. What? The problem with WNBA and not been that be fixed is that they're so noticeably and drastically less athletic than men on the court. Like, like the the product on the court is so noticeably, noticeably like less elite. Not saying that I, there are some great women players and they're extraordinarily skilled, but when you turn on the NBA game, that you have players throwing a lot and, and jamming on people and. I mean, it's so much more exciting than watching, you know... Yeah, but that's... You shouldn't with, feel bad about that. That's how... That's how it is in any sport. In any sport... I, like, dude, the men's... Even the men's national team for soccer, they would absolutely destroy the women's national team. No, of course. But I think the product on the, on, on the screen is so much less exciting than WNBA than it is in the NBA compared to the product on the screen in the men's national team versus the women's national team soccer, like, it's not that noticeable that's exciting because you're not, like, the women could pretty much do everything that the men could do. They might not be as athletic, but, I mean, uh, they could pretty much do almost everything the men could do. They're just a little less athletic. I will disagree. I'm going to disagree with you on that. I, I watch enough soccer to be able to tell you that there's a complete difference between the two. It, it's not even comparable. 
with that in basketball it is, there is a, a big noticeable difference um because the factor. yeah the nba is also dealing with the 500 greatest athletes the world's probably ever gonna see well speaking of nba i want to hear your thoughts on uh, i don't care let's hop right into it um yeah, um, so free agency, uh, my takeaway with Kawhi Leonard in uh, that whole situation is, I, ironically, it doesn't surprise me. Okay. It doesn't surprise me. Because all the reports were coming out that it sounded like it was a slam dunk and he was a Laker. And the more and more it started to say that, I was like, there's no way because Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard's not the type of person where you're going to be able to get the report that it's right. Like, not even Woj would be able to break that story. He keeps his, his, he keeps his core really, really tight and... So it, it just started to become where I was like, all right, yeah, I don't, I'm not even buying this anymore. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that he went to the Lakers. Uh, the yeah, LA I mean, thing, uh, what? So to, to your point I, about his small circle, uh, there was a report that I read today that he, he and his family were like laughing and saying they thought it was extremely comical that all his reports were coming out there that he was going to the Raptors, going to the Lakers. But nothing said about the Clippers, and the whole time apparently he was leaning towards the Clippers. So it goes to you know his you know absolute like small circle and quiet demeanor, and uh, he was able to keep that under wraps in a day and age when everything is being announced as everyone's opinion, everyone's mind is, is known to to everybody on social media. Yeah, that that, that exactly, and that's where I started. I just wasn't. It's one of those things, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Um, and so, I, I, I'll i be honest, I really wish he had stayed in Toronto. But, I mean, honestly, after he won it, you're kind of like, I don't know, more of a reason for him to leave. He's like, well, hey, I gave you what you wanted. Uh, here you go. I want to go to L.A. now. And so... Um, you know, I think he didn't have any unfinished business there. He came did he came there to do what he he needed, and he gave Toronto that championship. And I don't think the Toronto fans will hate him or boo him or anything. And he gets to now go off and do what he wanted, and that's go play in L.A. and not play. I'm happy he didn't play with the Lakers. I am very happy he did that. Um, I I'm glad he went to the Clippers. Uh, you know, part of me still wants him in Toronto. I just think that would have been great for for that city. I think that would have been great for the league. Um, you know, I, I don't think you could. I don't think you should have to worry about the future of that team because of how old they would have been and the contracts they would have had. He's still young. You could build around him and make moves to make that happen. I'm a big believer in that. I always talk to one of my buddies. I know this is long winded. I'm sorry, but I have a point. Uh, I just needed to make. Um, I have a buddy who always like shoots down every trade uh, idea I have, and I'm like, dude, you don't understand. 
you're doing, I'm like, you don't understand, man. Like, if these teams want a player, they'll make it happen. Like, no, to me, there's no, no trade is, like, unimaginable. If they want somebody, they can make it happen. Right. I, I agree. We've seen that a lot in this group. And players and teams like you know the Heat games or Butler, yeah. Um, but having you know little to no assets, um, you know other players like Paul George going to the Clippers. I mean, they traded away their entire future as far as graphics go um, for uh, for one player, and um, they just they had to get it done. They knew it. They got Paul George. They all struck Kawhi, uh, and they they potentially now has the best team ever. Uh, with, with their life is the same. Yeah, I mean... Um, uh, what I will say... What? Uh, I want to also make a point that um, I actually like that Kawhi went to the Clippers. I would have hated seeing the Lakers near Kawhi. The, the league is now so balanced. There's so many two-star teams. And I think these, these duos, these two-star teams, uh, are just so much more excited to watch when you get the playoffs. You, you have... AD and LeBron. You have now Paul George and Kawhi. You got Chris Paul and James Harden. You got CJ and Dane. Uh, you got uh, I don't even know who else. I mean, hopefully others, a couple other teams. You have Kawhi and Kevin Durant. Uh, you have if you could count uh, the, the Celtics with Kemba and Jason Tatum. Uh, you know, I really like I really like that Enos Cantor uh, signing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think the Celtics both have a lot, a lot better chemistry this year. I think the one thing for them is, is chemistry. But last year, you know, they were so maybe potentially more talented than they are this year. But they should have a better year this year just because it seems like their pieces get a little better. I think I was saying this before the All-Star break. I said this all along. I think Kemba Walker, if you put Kemba Walker on that team and replaced him uh, replaced Kyrie Irving with him. That team, I I could argue, could have made the finals. I mean, he would have been such a better locker room guy and so much better for that team. It, Kemba's nobody, nobody like nobody dislikes playing with Kemba. Everybody loves him, and he was great for the two young guys as well. I think Brown and Tatum are going to have great years because you know what? They're actually going to be able to want. They're actually going to want to play with Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker, um, you know, I think will get the most out of Cantor. And Brad Stevens makes uh, – he, he does well with point guards. <laughs> he does well with point guards. Yeah, usually. And I mean, Gordon it, it, Hayward, it, it, who knows? Uh, Maybe he starts do. to get back to it. I really hope he does, man. The guy's gotten around. Yeah, but remember when Paul George had that terrible uh, injury? Yeah. You know, in the, in the U.S.? Um, Olympic yeah, it, it took him about two uh, years to get back. It, it took him a year. Uh, he came back a year, and he wasn't that great. And the next year, he came back, and he was almost all-star PG, and now he's coming off the best year of his career. So, you know, he can always come back more here and be that type of player. Uh, maybe not quite as good, but if he's even, you know, 90% to what he was before, he would still be an all-star in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Paul George is. I'm interested to see how that works. 
uh, with him and Kawhi, who's going to be, whose team is it going to be? Is it going to be Kawhi's or is it going to be Paul George's? Um, I think to me, there's no question that it's Kawhi's, but, um, you know, I, Paul George, you could argue is probably going to be like, what the fuck? Like, you know, I'm one of the, I'm probably the second best two way player in the, in the NBA. Um, you know, sure, imagine being a guy in the NBA trying to play the Clippers and you have Kawhi on you and you're like, oh shit, someone put a screen for me, someone comes set a screen for you and they switch and it's Paul Jordan on you, like what do you do? Oh, you, you're screwed. And then you set one more screen and you have Patrick Beverly on you. That's what I was just about to say. I was just about to say. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, you know, I... I I'm interested to see how this year turns out. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. That's what that's for sure. I'm I'm excited to see uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo see if he develops even more. Um, because God, if he does, if he do, if he starts being able to create his own shot, like step into a three, <laughs> done. I saw a little bit at the end of the year. He was taking more threes, even the playoffs. No, but I don't mean I don't mean like hitting wide open threes. I mean like if he's able to off the dribble pull up and hit a three in your face and starts to be able to create his own shot like that from three, like how these shooting guards and point guards do, I mean he's gonna be unstoppable. I mean he isn't really gonna do that. I, I, if he makes open threes and he's able to do that more from mid range, but he's able to do like create his own shot better in mid range, he already does really well. But if he's able to like be more consistent with that you know, mid mid range like fall away or mid range like step back, like uh, he could really be deadly. I I think he if he learns to become a really good three point shooter, he's gonna be. I would say you could argue the greatest player of all time. I mean, he's still super young, and he's just got all the tools. He's a physical specimen, man. I mean, he he does things that you just I've never seen before. He's he doesn't look strong, but holy hell, is he, man? He is strong yeah. as hell. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, speaking of strong, I mean, we can't die on coming in. I think he's going to be in the NBA. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I am interested. Um, I'm interested to see how he does because he is a big guy, and that's the one of the things that was I was. Curious to see how he lines up to against these other NBA players. Um, because, like, LeBron was big when he came in the NBA, but LeBron was still pretty skinny uh, for how big he was. Uh, you go look at an old film of him, and he, he was still pretty lanky. Um, and Zion's already built like a Mack truck, so I'd be interested to see how he does. I think he'll be fine. Um, I think what he'll have to adjust to is that everybody is just like him. Yeah, the, the strength level in the NBA is just completely different than it was in college. And, and, and as you were talking about Giannis, you know, I think he's the guy that's going to really need to develop his own shot, his um, ability to create his own shot in the NBA in order to be successful. And yeah. Right off the bat, he's going to be an athletic freak, you know, throwing down lobs, you know, catching the post and dunking over people. But in order for him to be the player that they can get to be, he's got to be able, have to be able to create his own shot. But that's a thing you can coach and teach. 
you can't teach that that God-given talent he has. That's just something you can't teach. Oh yeah, and and uh, physicality, yeah. You can't teach his physical. You can't teach being you know two eighty and with a forty-five inch vert. Yeah, exactly. He, um, in my opinion. I, I think he will be fine. I don't think he will get bullied as much as people think because I do think that he has that elite strength already that the NBA players have. Um, but I do think he will be surprised that he's not as dominant as he's he's been used to his whole entire life. What did you see him rip the ball out of Kevin Knox's hands in summer league? Yeah, I did. He looked like a. He looked like he was taking candy out of a baby's hand. It looked like, like Kevin Knox wanted no part of that. Yeah, but he's also. It's also Kevin Knox, and it's like he's not going to do that to. I, I would imagine he's probably not even going to do that. To, and he'd probably do it to Luka Doncic. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin Knox is a guy, pretty young still. But, yeah, he's not going to bully players like he did in college, that's for sure. Yeah. I think he's going to have a he's going to have an interesting first year. I don't think – I would say – what do you think is going to be a good year for him? For me, I have – if he can average like – maybe I'm being too hard on him, but if you can average – if you can average 13 points – Seven rebounds and like four assists. I think that would be a great first year for him. To be honest, that would be disappointing for him. I think, like, with his size, he should be averaging at least 10 rebounds. Maybe yeah. there's no reason he shouldn't be getting 10 rebounds. Uh, that's mid in there. I mean, if he averages around 13 to 15 points, I think that that's, that'd be fair. Um, and you're right, a couple of assists. I think the where you left, where you fell short, like, he better be averaging at least 10 rebounds. I don't. It's, here's why I disagree with that. One, he's going to be probably playing a three. Um, he is only hey, he's playing four. Okay, but he's only six seven, six eight, and he's a rookie. I, I I didn't know he was playing four, so I guess I will. But I would have to bump that up to then. He should be getting like two eighty. He's two eighty and it's super strong. There's no reason he should be out carrying guns. He also a defensive break. I, I want to see, you know, some blocks and steals in there, too. All right. I thought he was going to be playing on the wing. Why did he be playing? Because in college, he shot, he shot like 64% or something like that in the field, um, which is insane. I want to see his, you know, efficiency in the NBA. It would be probably a little worse than that. I mean, that would be historic numbers if you got that in the NBA. Uh, but I want to see him, you know, shoot a pretty high percentage, take smart shots. Well, I mean, if he's playing four, he's not going to be out on the perimeter too much. He'll be like setting screens and stuff. In that NBA, you know, the, the four is constantly you know, moving out with the corners. Yeah, but their bigs are still running. They're more running their picks and stuff, and they're, they're either going to pick well, or, I, I or either going to pick or pop. The game. Um, Game, it appeared that like they're running all these lobs for him, so that it, it looks like he could be heavily involved in the team with um, Pelicans. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is I don't think that's what I'm saying is I don't think a lot of he, I don't think he's going to have an opportunity to really be doing spot up shooting. I think most of his action is going to be coming from around the paint. 
Yeah, but I feel like when you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would guarantee you, especially in an NBA game, not summer league, in an NBA game, he's going to get that pop, and the first thing he's going to do is he's going to shot fake and probably try and drive. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, yeah. that's his bread and butter. He's not a shooter, really. I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. Is I just don't, that, that's what I'm saying, though. I don't think you could... I think you have to have a pretty low standard for him in his first year of shooting. I mean, even the great shooters in the NBA, their first year is rough. Um, you know, I, I think you got to be easy with his... You should look at more how he was uh, field goal percentage wise, and particularly like around the paint, and see how he did around there. Yeah, you're right. Hey. Uh, well, you know, I, I told you this earlier, but I actually had the the Miami Utah summer league game on right now, and I'm getting really hyped about my guy Tyler Hero. I, I mean, when he was drafted uh, out, of, out of Kentucky for the Heat, I, I didn't think too much of it, but watching him in, in his summer league games, the guy has way better of a handle than thought. And he could really shoot the lights out. I'm really yeah, pumped up about him. What's uh, his ball handling like? It looks like, you know, in college, it was one of those things, you know, when Colin DeCount went to Kentucky and he didn't really shoot any jump shots. And then he came to the NBA and was like 40% from three and shooting from every angle. It was the same type of thing with Tyler here when ball handling, like, that wasn't his role in the team. He was kind of a shooter. Um, but I, I didn't realize, like, he had a tight handle. He reminds me of a young. I feel like that's a very bold statement because CJ McCollum has really good ball handling skills. I'm saying, man, his handle's really tight. I'm not saying he's perfect. He's got to develop, of course, but like his handle looks like CJ did when he was younger. Like, it's very tight. You know, he's not perfect. He's made better, of course, but. Like, I think his potential would be a uh, primary to secondary ball handler for the Heat. Which I'm pumped up about. Who do you think the top six in the NBA this year are going to be? Teams? Yeah, top six. Uh, like, who do you think the top six contenders are? One Clippers, two Celtics. It's in actual order. Celtics three. I'm gonna go with Bucks. This uh, actually their last year. Four. I'll go either Rockets or I think the Celtics should be up there. So I'll go Rockets, Celtics. You know, either one to leave with. And then you said six, so next six. You. Uh, the Jazz, man. The Jazz. Uh, I think the Jazz. I mean, Mike Conley. That was a huge move. Um, and I'm really excited to, to see them play together. I know I ignored Denver. I think they're too young. I don't think that they, uh, Denver can really handle, you know, Anthony Davis from the block. I don't think he's, he's going to be able to handle, you know, Paul George and Kawhi. I think they're like the fourth best team in the West or third best team in the West now. Would you have Denver in your top six? No, but I have him over Utah. You said what? I said no, but I would have them over Utah. So who's your top six? Um, in no particular order, I'm just going to name out my top six contenders. Um, the Lakers, Clippers, 
Celtics. Um, uh, Sixers. Bucks. And then I would say also... Portland, uh, particularly if they can make like one more move. See, that's what I'm so excited about, man, is that there's so many teams that can be included in the prospects. Like, it's, it's actually a debate, like, Portland's right there. I say Utah's right there. There's nothing but right there. I think the top five are pretty right consistent. There. I think it's that sixth, I think it's the sixth spot that uh, could be open to interpretation. I think the top six are pretty set in stone. Yeah, because we have the same, we have five of the same teams, I think. Yeah. The next one with Warless. I think the sixth spot is where people can kind of go like, well, I think differently on that one. But other than that, the top five, I think are going to be generally the same. Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely pumped about I think uh, R.J. Barrett's going to win Rookie of the Year. Whoa, I think. Yeah, I think he's going to win Rookie of the Year. He's a close... Uh, he's actually the godson of Steve Nash. I think Steve Nash will be working with his shot a lot this offseason. And I think he is going to be a mentor to R.J. Barrett and will... Uh, I think he's going to just further his game a lot. He's a godson of Steve Nash. How'd that happen? Um, well, they're both Canadian. So, uh, yeah, but it doesn't mean they know each other. Yeah, no, that's how it works over in Canada. You, uh, It's by law the two greatest athletes of the sports by generation are father, son. By, like, oh, or godfather. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> No, no, I didn't. No, uh, Steve, Steve Nash is, like, really good buddy on the national basketball team. He was, like, really good friends with the guy who's R.J. Barrett's dad. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I can see R.J. putting up a shot for it, especially in the Knicks. He's going to be, you know, their go-to option as far as offense goes, or it's not Julius Randle. Um, yeah, you know, and Ju- really Julius Randle will yeah. help him, I think, too. Like, they'll probably do, a, I would imagine, a lot of pick-and-roll sequ- sequences. Yeah, absolutely. But I, what I will say, the my dark horse for rookie of the year, not Zion, is uh, Michael Porter Jr. on the Knights. Oh, yeah, because technically, technically it's going to be his first year. Yep, yeah. Injured last year, didn't play a single game, didn't play any of the uh, summer league games or anything. Uh, and he was one of the most highly talented guys out of high school years ago. Dude has every talent in the world. He's like six feet and handle, jump the dunk. He's like you know, the next like Jason Tatum type or like you know, Paul George type. So uh, that's a guy who no one's really talking about because everyone kind of forgot, forgot about him. But. Um, he's looking. Uh, he's looking good to start the season and healthy, and I'm really excited to see him play. He can totally win this year. 
Yeah. I'm always interested in how people are going to come back from injuries. Um, you know, I'm always suspect of that. And I think it's hard to judge their first year. It's always their second year. How do they look? Because their first year, they're still getting the rust out. And it takes about a full year to get that rust, like, fully out, getting adjusted to playing with it. And uh, it, it's no easy task. Like, there's a lot of mental that mental that goes into it. Um, and, you know, being able to push your knee or, you know, your ankle or whatever it is that you, you know, you hurt really bad. There's that mental part to not being able to want to push it as much because it is hurt. So uh, it takes a while to get back fully. And uh, I'm always suspicious. Like, I wonder how good Kevin Durant's going to be. Um, not only in his first year, but his second year, I think, is going to be back from injury is going to be the real, you know, tell of the tale of how good he's going to be after his injury. Well, you, you, you now have cash back. You just signed, like, what, $160 million? Four years, $170 million. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have a... He's going to he's gonna be feeling great for for a while, well, regardless of what he does. Um, you know, Kyle, you're a big uh, Kings fan, Sacramento Kings, as being a sack boy. Um, and your starting center this year is going to be another one of those guys who went into college, highly tied out of high school, uh, Harry Giles. I want to hear your thoughts. Do you think he's uh, how do you think they do the starting center this year? Um, you know, obviously as a fair weather Kings fan, um, I love them, but they've just always been kind of shitty. It'll be nice when they get really good again to be able to cheer for them again publicly. Um, but I would, you know, I, I wish him the best. I don't know how good he's going to be, but he's athletic. He, he'll be fine defensively. I think that's what it, if he focuses on, he'll be fine. Um, and that'll be fine with them. Offensively, if he can give you, like, 10, that'd be great. I think he'll be all right uh, defensively, though. Good, man. Yeah, I'm excited. To, I'm happy that you're going to get the opportunity to get rid of Willie uh, Collie Stein, letting him throw the Warriors, um, and open up that door for him to, to get a chance at the That's good. Yeah, I... Uh, I... I'm glad they got rid of... I li- you know what, though? I like Willie Collie Stein. I actually do. Um, I think... He's a good defender. I think he's a good athletic person to have on the floor. Uh, but you know, he's not going to be incredible. He's not worth. He's not worth wasting money on because I think any contract he gets, he's probably going to be overpaid. Uh, and I don't think he's worth that when you have two young rising stars on your team who you know you're going to have to pay. Totally. I mean, I think uh, the Kings are. In- smart moves here. Uh, they're young four. They might be fighting for a playoff spot in the West. Um, I think they'll be a... Now that the Warriors are really going to have an off year, although I think the Warriors are going to be a dark horse, I, I really want people to, you know, think about it. Like, don't sleep on the Warriors. They're going to be pretty good. D'Angelo Russell, he's going to be a good filler that clay has gone, but he's not going to be, you know, obviously Clay. And then Clay could come back, arguably, at the end of the year. Even an 80% Clay Thompson's pretty good. Um, you know, I think D'Angelo Russell is a good pl- Plus, you could trade him for something good if you need it down the road. Well, this, yeah, this is the same core that, that uh, 
won 73 games first. Like, there's still a chance in squad about Kevin Durant. That's why everyone was so pissed about Kevin Durant going. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Uh, if DeAngelo Russell can keep them playing at a high level until Clay gets back, and then they can figure out what to do with, with, with D'Angelo at that point, you know, do you stay the team or do they trade him? Uh, if you could just do that, man, that would be huge for them. They could totally be, you know, a, mid, a mid-level seed, four, five seed even, um, in the playoffs and make a run at it. Maybe, maybe trade him for, uh, be very hard, but uh, trade him for Russell Westbrook, bring him into Golden State. Problem is that you get your, your trading youth for age. At least, you know, if worse comes to worse, you could start to rebuild around D'Angelo Russell, have at least a young core centerpiece, even though he's not incredible. And probably, a one for you. How, about, how about a trade for Bradley Beal? What do you think about that one? I you know what maybe it's just me but I'm not I'm not really that big on Bradley Beal I don't think he's I don't really? I oh, think I, agree, man. I, think, I think he's great but he's not I don't think he's incre- I don't think he's really a guy you can build a team around yeah I'm not saying that I'm adding him like he's the perfect modern day NBA player but he's a stud three point shooter who can handle and create his own shot pass. Uh, you want him over D'Angelo Russell, you're saying? Oh, I want Beal over Westbrook, absolutely. Uh, for the Heat, I would, if, I, if we got Beal, I would be ecstatic. And Westbrook, you know, I like Westbrook, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate, I would like to see him in Miami. The problem is his contract terrible, and he's 30 years old, and his game is predicated a lot on his athleticism. So it's not like he's going to get any better at this point unless he improves drastically on his jump. Well, or, you you know, can always put him in the post. He is good in the post. He could post up anybody, any point guard. But but is, is that really what's going to win you games? Like, you know, Westbrook in the post? Is that like that needs to be efficiency? Like, I, I think there's better shots that he could get. I mean, his, I think his best trait is... I disagree. I think... Why wouldn't you? All the best players, when you need a bucket at the end of the game, all the best players would go to the post. Kawhi Leonard did it. LeBron James did it. Michael Jordan did it. Everybody would do that. You would go to the post at the end of the game. If you have a player who is a dominant post player and you need a bucket late in the game, why wouldn't you put him in the post? Is he is he that efficient? I, I would honestly think that Jimmy Butler might be the player that I would rather have at the end of the game than posting up or pulling up. I... Uh, I agree, but I'm saying, like, I agree with that. I I don't disagree with that, but what I'm saying is I think that's an an added value that he does bring to the table. If you need a bucket, even in his growing age, you could just put him in the post. Say Jimmy Butler is cold that night, and you need a bucket. Put Russell Westbrook in the post. He can get you two points. I would rather have Bradley Beal taking a jump shot and then the game than Russell Westbrook. I think he's a better shooter than Westbrook. I I don't know. I would rather take Russell Westbrook over Bradley Beal. But I do agree, though, and I do... It, it breaks my heart because I am a Russell Westbrook fan. But he's he has shown, particularly in the last two years, that he's not... He's a train wreck when it comes to late-game situations and, like, shooting. Uh, he's, a, he's just not... He just shoots himself out of the games. But then it's like, how oh, the game where he... If it wasn't for him, you would have no chance for it. 
Like you would absolutely have, like you would have no chance of being in the game if it wasn't for him. Yeah, of course. But I, I, at the end of the game, I don't think he is the most important score. Just from the iPads from what I've seen, I, I know we had that really amazing year. We had a couple of game winners, but all of last year I watched him. You know, I, I watched him absolutely unfold at the end of the game, throw the ball away, take terrible shots. But I think if you bring him. I think if you bring him to the Heat, though, he's going to know he's not the centerpiece of the franchise. Everybody knows that's Jimmy Butler's team now. Sure, I, and I'm actually 100% with you. I think that there's any organization that can get him in line as far as, like, his decision-making and, like, not be, you know, caring more about winning than the stats is the Heat organization because they're so committed to winning. And you have a guy like Pat Riley, who is a no-bullshit guy, who will not take that type of behavior. So I think him coming to the heat, I would actually like it. I'm just saying I would prefer for use purposes and for shooting ability to actually get around the deal. I don't think I, I think I've heard you guys. I don't know. I don't think you should. Yeah. You don't agree? I don't agree with what? No, I agree that I think I agree with what you feel about Pat Riley and how Westbrook would be on that team. I no, uh, you know, feel over Westbrook. No, I, I I don't because at the end of the day, I think Westbrook's a better overall player than Bradley Beal, and I would rather have the better overall player. Okay, I mean that's that's I think with G. Correct, but you're not built. But correct, but on the Heat, uh, Westbrook is not going to be the centerpiece of the franchise. It will be Jimmy Butler, and same with Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal would not be the centerpiece of the franchise. It would be Jimmy Butler. So, yeah, sure. But but I'd rather have a young guy who, when Jimmy Butler's contract is up, you know, four years from now, he's thirty-four years old, that could really take over the reins. Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler's like what twenty-eight. He's like 30 years old also, 20, 29, 30 years. He's 33, 34, and that is contracts. So I'd rather have a guy... Like Bradley Beal, I'm pretty sure Bradley Beal's like... I'm pretty sure Bradley Beal's like 27. No. Look that up right now. I, I'm looking it up for you right now. He's 25? No way. He's, he's 26 years old. He'll be 27 this year. And he'll be and, and Butler. Butler is twenty nine years old. When when is gonna when is Bradley Beal gonna be twenty seven? His birthday's in June. June twenty eighth. So just passed. He just turned twenty six. Damn, he just turned twenty six. Holy shit! No way. I thought Bradley Beal was older than I was. No, he played. Yo, Bradley Beal played for UF not too long ago, man. I went and done out of UF. Uh, that's probably the reason why I wanted to down here, man. The Florida guy. Love to see it. Yeah, he probably would love. He probably would love to be in Miami. But either way, I I think if you're talking about for the next four years, who would I rather have, Westbrook or Bradley Beal? I would definitely say Westbrook. Uh, I'm happy, and I'm actually. Ooh, no, 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 no
I'm going to disagree with, I'm going to, I'm already going to backtrack on what I said. No, um, I disagree with that because that's talking about being the centerpiece. Given the situation that he's in, that you're building around, um, Jimmy Butler, I would, I would much rather have Westbrook at least for the next two years. Um, because I think Westbrook's just the better overall player again. That's what I stand by. But, um, I, if I had to, who I would wager for four years, I would definitely take um, Bradley Beal. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. is Westbrook's on a four-year deal right now. He's getting paid, you know, $45 million uh, for four years. I would love to have Westbrook. Oh, don't get me wrong. I think he's got a terrible, I think he's got a terrible contract. Absolutely. Um, He's got a terrible contract, but... I think he would be really good for the Heat. That doesn't change my point on that. Yeah, sure. I, I, I would hope so. I, I'm a, I'm a Westbrook fan. I would love to see him down here in general. I'm just saying, I, as, as a you know a pragmatist, just I think Beal is a better option for us. But if just he did, Westbrook's our only choice, and we're not giving up Justice, well, I, I, I really like Justice or Pam. If we get him without giving up those two players, then I would absolutely take him on. Well, if the Heat are smart, if the Heat are smart, they'll go after Beal. Um, if they want a point guard, they probably would go after Wall because Wall's younger than John uh, than Westbrook. Uh, has a bad contract, but at least Wall is young enough to where Wall could still be of some value. Dude, uh, you know Wall's gonna miss the whole next year. He, he just got tore the Achilles out of Achilles surgery. He's already out. I thought he tore his Achilles. I thought he tore his Achilles during the year. No, he, he tore. So he had, had a different injury and tore it while he was recovering for the Achilles. And then uh, in about May, or I think it was like that's not May, like April. Like he he had Achilles surgery to to fix his torn Achilles. Yeah. So he's out for the entire year next year, and that's what. So that's what. Uh, the Wizards right now are saying anybody who wants to trade for Rabbit Beal has to also take on John Wall's contract. So that's what makes the deal, deal with us impossible. We, can, we don't have any salaries to match. But, and we, it wouldn't make sense for us to take on another deal, uh, contract. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know I'm pretty sure John Wall will be back though some point in this year. Because I'm pretty sure he heard it. He heard it a while ago, and he's walking around now. Like he could be back. I think he's going to be back at the end of next year. I think he'll essentially miss the season. I, I don't like he won't be the same player when he gets back. So he is like kind of like he won't be playing. He'll be that player that season. So you, if if we had to take a contract on like that, like you have to you know not care about winning. I, Which I don't think is their goal with Jimmy Butler on that squad. No, no, that's not what I, I'm saying. I think right now, first of all, I think you could afford to take on John Wall's contract because they obviously made the statement. Uh, they obviously made the statement that they're not looking to win next year. They're trying to build because when they signed, when they signed. Uh, Jimmy Butler with like really no core and just Jimmy Butler, they made that very loud and clear. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna argue with you here, man. If we get Sean Wall and Bradley Beal, I'll take it. 
like bring him on. Uh, oh no like, no no! Well, I, I was just saying, like I think they could afford on just John Wall. I think they could afford to take a chance on him because they were clearly not looking to rebuild this year. I, I mean, I don't know. I guess why would you? So I think you're right. Yeah, it would make sense to take a year of the Butler. Who would you want then right now if you could get him? Deal. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I'm other than Beal, other than Beal. I would like to have Westbrook too. I mean, I just don't. I don't know who else is available. You know, behind closed doors, sprinkle stars. Um, as far as free agency goes, there really isn't anything left in free agency. Uh, so I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see it. And, um, what's emerging? And and, and who on. knows? Maybe in a year, Kwa, uh, Kyrie Irving will be back on the market. <laughs> He's the biggest wild part of the NBA. Yeah. Never know yeah, you don't know if he's going to help you make a magnificent run to the NBA Finals or if he's going to just absolutely dismantle your entire franchise. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of the two. There's no one Kyrie. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and change topic here on us. Uh, okay. I want to go ahead and talk to you about... Um, and a drastic switch uh, at that. Um, I know you get pretty fired up and you, you love politics. I know you read a lot about it. Um, where do you normally get your news from, would you say? So, yeah, so I, what I like to do for my news, I, honestly, I get most of my news on YouTube and um, the articles that I read, you know, based on you know other stuff that I hear about, I'll look up certain articles what I like to do is kind of watch and, and read things from every single different major news network. So like CNN, Fox News. Um, I don't really read much MSNBC. Sometimes I do, uh, but mostly mostly those two. And then a lot of those independent guys. I love I love listening to you know people. You know I don't know if you know Tim Cook online. Um, I like I love his channel on YouTube. I love uh, Ben Shapiro. Uh, I love. Um, you know, there's a lot of personalities that I've never too. Um, so with all those things put together, I feel like I'm able to kind of get a full scope view of both sides rather than just hearing, you know, the vibe arguments from one side. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the way I do it. Yeah, I would, uh, I would say I, I don't necessarily have a lot of time to read, like, or not read, um, but like watch like the cable shows and stuff like that. So I try and listen to at least a show every day, Paul, a political show every day. I listen to generally Ben Shapiro, um, as well. Uh, and then I try and at least read one article and do that. I would say I get a lot of my news if I'm going to read probably from wall street journal. Um, uh, but I try and read, if you just Google any news story on, you're, the first one's more than likely going to be a liberal website, so I just Google a news story and I'll just kind of read that and just see, you know, see that side. Uh, that's where I would get kind of like my opposing news. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, in this day and age, like, it's tough. Like, lots of people just watch, you know, one news channel and then that's what they base their entire opinion off of. And the worst is when it's like now. shit. The worst is when it's like, uh, it's shit like uh, The Daily Show. Sorry? Um, I was saying the worst is when 
it's the people who are making their opinions and it's like based off of the daily show and what they're seeing there. Like there's people oh, who, right, right. who that's where they get their news from. It's not only that, but it's like, to me, it angers me in the sense that it's like, how can you, how can you just agree with everything that one, they're doing purely satirical. So the fact that you're taking it as actual news is a little worrisome. Uh, Two, they're, you know, how are you agreeing with every single thing they do? Like, dude, I listen to Ben Shapiro, but I don't agree with everything that he says. I mean, I think that's good that you should disagree with even the person that you listen to most um it's healthy uh and i think people are kind of taking everything that they're saying at face value to be true and that's a little scary particularly because it's a satire show but it's like legitimately where people will get their fucking news from that's so that well i don't know if you're um, you're familiar with like the intellectual dark web that group, like Ben Shapiro and, and uh, Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson, all these guys that, um, and, and a bunch of ladies as well, who have you know, come together to create what they call the intellectual dark web, where they pretty much just post videos, they go on tours, to talk to large crowds around the country, and with, with actual like intellectual conversation, instead of just the political posturing that has been going on in and most news and most of honestly universities nowadays. My friend, my friend at law school, UF right now, um, he told me he had a forced diversity class where the entire class they've been teaching them how how much more privileged white people were. Um, and and that was a forced class that he had to take for law school. I mean a lot of, I, I didn't know that was like a real thing. Like I'd never heard of someone actually to take a class like that. But it, it's insane like that, that these universities are you know requiring this stuff. Yeah. Kind Did of you see the, uh, the, the, the kid who got thrown out of class in high school, or I don't think it was a high school or college, because the teacher was teaching about that there's like 50 something genders. Oh, I heard about this, kids, yes. That, that there was all these genders, and the kid stood up and said, like, that's not scientific fact, like, there's only two genders in part of science. And instead of having a conversation with him and trying to express her point, she just booed him out of class and said, hey, like, you're a racist, sexist, bigot, you know. Uh, <laughs> all those names that they label on anyone who disagrees with them. Yeah. Automatically. Yeah, I mean, it. I think we're getting into people. We're getting into a, a time where people are just getting re. They they're living in this bubble and they just are so afraid of anybody popping it, and it's becoming. People are just becoming way too sensitive, and I think it's. I'm. It makes me curious as to what the world's gonna look like when our parents and their generation dies off. Right. Because a, 
I just feel like a lot of people don't really, I don't know, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of talking out of my ass on this one, but I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people who were kind of giving things who they don't really, they don't really understand the value of hard work or anything like that. And I don't mean even in the sense of like, I would say you and I grew up in nicer areas in the suburban areas. I don't mean like that. Like, I think, I feel like there's just people out there who every turn of the corner that they've had, it was uh, somebody else's fault and they're just ready to put the blame on them why they weren't being successful. And then their mom or dad would pat them on the back and be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not, it's not your fault. Whether it was even just a bad grade or even something that simple. I'm not even talking like big things. Like it was just kind of their parents would always just baby them and it's you know now they're getting older and they don't, they're not ready for the adult life and it's punching them in the face and so they're looking for an easier way out it's somebody else it has to be somebody else's fault not theirs so i, I completely agree on that point I, and I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of my friends i think that personal responsibility is going down the drain in our american society right now 100 people are not taking responsibility for their their own actions they're, like the people that want all their students to forgiven i'm not going to sit here and say that you know it, the system should be better and colleges you know aren't they aren't playing so it's tough but you're knowingly taking that out your personal responsibility is to have to pay back that with those loans like having like wanting the government to do that for you like that shows that you're you're not responsible for yourself and i think it's like that's in all aspects of our of our, our culture right now you know personal society uh, personal responsibility has been you know shunned instead they want the government to do it for you they want rich people to do it for you uh when at the end of the day you really should be you know trying at least your hardest to overcome any obstacle yourself and, yeah. and then seeing where it goes from there I, I agree, and um, you know, I think even a big part uh, of that, and a big example of that, is about the whole abortion thing. Where to me, it's coming down to it's like, dude, you can't, you can't kill something because you you didn't think about the consequences, and you're not ready to bear the consequences and take responsibility for your own actions, like. If you're, to me, if you're an adult enough to make an adult decision like having sex, you've got to be able to bear the consequences. And I think that you as a person and a member of society should have to be able to, I think you have to be able to bear that responsibility and be responsible for your own, for your own. Yeah, you know, I'll even take a step further. I don't even watch it, like, the political debates. Uh, but, you know. It's, it's a pretty much mainstream Democrat policy right now to provide free abortions to everybody. Yeah. So, uh, personally, I just, like, whatever your views are, like, I, I, I respect it. I'm reluctantly pro-life. Uh, and I, and for a couple reasons, but I think it shouldn't be easy. I think it should, it should be something that, you know, it takes time for you to, to, to decide on. Um, and there have to be ramifications that, Part of personal responsibility of, of you know having sex, unprotected sex, is that you'll have to pay for an abortion in that, if it comes to that, and go through that traumatic experience of having that happen. I mean, I, uh, that's part of personal the responsibility. That I don't want the government taking away from that, you know, responsibility that you have to have uh, in order to you know do something so heinous as to kill a living fetus inside of you. I mean, that's pretty obviously an immoral thing to do. 
and it's not something that I think most people, the majority, the vast majority of people getting abortions, think about it a lot. It's for that small portion that, you know, want the free abortions and want all this stuff that I think that these rules need to be in place for. I do think that you you make fair points. I think there should be aspects of where it, it should be legal, but um, I don't know personally. I just don't think you you should be having them because you're. It's more convenient for you to not have the kid. Like that's not only selfish, but that's also you know to me immoral to take the life of that that being. And everyone who's out there and is saying well, it's my body, like, you can't have a say over... It's not your body. We're, we're not having a say over your body. We're having a say over the body that's inside of you. That's that's the thing that I have a say over and that I want. And just because I'm a man, I can't say it, like... Okay, that's my kid too, though. Like, at the end of the day, that's still my fucking kid. And, you know what I mean? I It, it, took, it took two to tango. At the end of the day, I have just as much say in as it as you do, just because you're carrying it doesn't mean it's any less my kid. Right, man, I completely agree with you that the men definitely get the short end of the straw here with uh, really having no say in, in anything about, you know, what the woman decides to do um, and really not being in control of a lot of the situation. Uh, but there are also, you know, there's plenty of people, plenty of guys who feel morally, you know, after you know, women would be something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think women as well. You know, like I said before, I think the vast majority of, of women who undergo abortions uh, don't do it lightly, and, and it's something that like they probably live with the rest of their life, or, you know, regretting or feeling terrible for. Um, I just don't think we need to make it an easier process. I, I think, that, like, like I said before. Be legal, you know, the force. I think this, especially situations where rape, incest, um, where, or even like, uh, you know, with all the technology we have, you know, we can tell if the kid's going to be like mentally challenged, to be, if he's going to have like serious like disorders that, that's going to make him pass away at a young age. Like, that's a little bit of a more gray area for me. Like, I don't know. Um, that's why I say there has to be, you know, the ability of, to have an abortion this should be legal. Uh, but it shouldn't be something that anyone can play. Yeah, I think if it's going to be a medical hindrance to the woman, um, or if it's a case of rape uh, or incest, or you know, um, like you said, something that would cause harm to the woman, or maybe even the fetus itself, uh, I think you know, I would agree. I think those are times where it's acceptable. And here's the thing, though: is that's where everybody then they take that and they go, "Well, see, you're already accepting an argument for it's acceptable at times." Like, I want to be able to do it at any time, too. And uh, kind of like where you could go uh, draw a parallel argument with uh, weed. It started out as, well, I need it medically. It's like, well, if it also helps medically, why couldn't, why shouldn't I be able to then do it at any time? Um, and well, my question to you, Kyle, um, so what do you think about, like, with the technology that I was saying, you, you, you see a kid, your son's going to be you know, mentally challenged, you know, and potentially not live a full life. At that point, what 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 scene do you make there? That's I where I agree with you. That's where I agree with you on that aspect, like the mentally challenged ones and stuff like that. I agree is a very big gray area. But to my point, I, mean, I, I think it's still immoral to me. To me, it's still immoral. 
but it's just something that is in a gray area, you know. It's, I don't know. I don't know what I would do in that situation. Um, and, but it's here's the thing. Here, but here's the thing, though. If you were to tell me and sit me down and and argue that it is immoral, I would totally understand where you're coming from, and I I probably would agree with you on a lot of every uh, with a lot of what you probably would say say. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I agree. I think it's a big gray area. I don't know how I would feel about it. I would like to say that I would say no, but at the end of the day, like the quality of life that child would have. I'm not sure if you, you know this stuff. So. Uh, Eastern European Jews, so I'm, I'm Jewish, um, Eastern European Jews, lots of European Jews carry, um, carry something called T-Facts. So, when you're having, when, uh, before you, when you're married, and you're Eastern European, you're both Eastern European, if you're both carriers of the T-Facts gene, then every single child that you subsequently have is tested for, for T-Facts, which is basically mental retardation. Um, and that's, that's a huge, like, issue with, with Eastern European couples uh, coming from that area uh, because a lot of dudes do end up, you know, getting the, you know, kids that have to care their T-Sacks, you know, have to have the full T-Sacks effect. Um, yeah. And they, they do end up like, going through the abortion. And, like, that's something that, me personally, I would, I would struggle with that decision mightily. But I, I, I think that is something that needs to be a choice for the person. Like, I don't think that's in the government to say, hey, you can't do this. Because I have to be a decision. Yeah, here was going to be my other point, too, with that kind of, like, basing off what you just said, is the, these, these cases that we're talking about, incest, rape, mental retardation, stuff like that, these are a small number of cases. Um, it's a small percentage of uh, cases where that's happening. More often than not, it's somebody going, I just don't, I don't want to be carrying this. Right. And yeah, uh, I'm not, yeah, I agree with you on that one. I, I, I do think that, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I do agree though with the mentally challenged thing. Like that's where I'm, that's probably the one aspect where I don't know what I, I don't know. I, I truly don't know what I would do. I, I could easily see myself uh, arguing for it, and then you a rational debate, and not one that they had the Democratic debate the other day, where they uh, everyone raised their hand for you know for, uh, open abortions, you know, paying for abortions under health care, you know, unlimited abortions type of thing. Uh, I thought a lot of what they were saying was honestly you're disgusting uh, to, to see people like kind of diminish what it really is, but they, they never once called it abortion. The question had abortion in it, but in this debate, instead of saying, oh, abortion, abortion, they always called it reproductive health care. And that is just completely dishonest. It's not what it is. Abortion. So if you're going to talk about it, why hide what it is? The reason they have to hide it is because they know they're wrong. Yeah. They know it's, they know it's wrong. So they have to mask it in, in, in other terms, like reproductive health care. Yeah, you make it, you, you, you put you know you put some ribbons and streamers on it and makes it make you seem like it's not as dangerous or not as bad. Right. Yeah. I it, it honestly, it, it, it's gross. I think uh, that's why a lot of people are, are disenfranchised by the Democrats right now because it's it's seeming right now that 
there really isn't any moderates that have a chance. Everyone who everyone who goes up there is pretty much the same views, all very radical. I think I do put a little bit of blame on Trump, and I don't put it all on Trump, but a little bit of blame definitely goes to Trump for kind of polarizing a little more. Like I think he to be sent the left into overdrive. Like his rhetoric has sent them to a place way more radical than they were before he came in. Not saying it was trending in the right direction already, because it wasn't. But uh, now, then it was like kind of weird to see someone like Bernie Sanders, you know, with social policies. It was weird for people to talk about open borders. Like the mainstream Democratic view was that we should secure our borders and you know lessen up the you know make the make it easier for immigrants to come into our country, but make sure we have a secure border. Now it let let everybody in. You know, it, it's completely changed. Uh, even someone like Joe Biden, who under Obama, you know, was was a staunch supporter of, of a strong border, now is coming out and saying, you know, his health care is going to pay for illegal immigrants, too. So, he's, it, like, so the, the views are just going so far left, and I do put a little bit of that blame on Trump, because he is a very, you know, fracturing guy, especially to the left. Yeah. Um, but he's also done a lot of great stuff for the country, though, too. And that's, I, I, I do think so. And don't get me wrong, I, there's a lot I don't like about Trump. I don't, I'm not a big, I'm not a big, like, uh, everything Trump does is immaculate. I think he, I think he's done a lot of things that are, that are bad. And generally speaking, the things that I think he does bad on is just when he opens his mouth. Um, Sometimes he just says things like I, I truly do think that he says things that people find offensive that I don't think are truly offensive and it's him being funny and I think you need to lighten up and have a sense of humor. But do I think he also says stupid things that are just like I'm like, why are you saying that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he says a lot of dumb things that, uh, you know, it then washes away his main point because you just get caught up in what he just said was so stupid and disrespectful or whatever the case may be that, uh, you know, uh, made him, you know, do what he did. But yeah, I, I do think that's where he, he drives a nail in like in between people, uh, as far as the country goes. But, um, you know, I think he does do a lot of good though as well. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the positive and negative to his presidency ending overall. And he's doing his best. It seems like, uh, he's trying his best to just do, do right for America. Um, the way that he thinks is best, which I, I respect that, man. I mean, like I said, I, I definitely don't agree with everything he's done. Um, but I, a lot of stuff's incredible, like with the North Korea situation. I just, I, that was something that I would have never perceived coming, like the temperament you showed with Iran. Another thing, like, I, lots of other presidents would have attacked Iran um, after they shot down a drone. Instead, he decided to, to hold off, and I, I appreciated that. Like, he's not you know, a war hawk, he's not someone that wants war, so that, I will say, I, I don't think his foreign policy with Iran has not been the best, but um, as far as North Korea goes, I think he's doing a good job there. Um, actually, it's a great segue into, I wanted to talk to you about the Iran deal. Um, what are your thoughts on it? I know, uh, from what I read briefly, was Iran's also looking to ramp it up even more with uh, nuclear... Uh, energy and stuff like that not energy but their uranium with it um, and 
they're taking it to another level that breaks like another law as well within the Iran original Iran deal. I know you were saying that originally we broke it, but man, well, I also yeah, don't think the yeah. Iran deal is a good it was a good deal in the first place. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you that Iran deal was not the best deal, and I'm a supporter of Israel, of course. So, but I I didn't like the way that Iran deal was constructed. You know, ten years gives them a lot of money. I think there should have been more that they, they had to they had to do, um, and more restrictions on them in the deal. But once we're in the deal, you know, Iran was following it, and we we made that commitment, you know, to to it was a you know. It was a multilateral decision. Well, because they just needed money. It's because European countries. Yes, but they just needed money to stimulate their economy, and that's what they want now. And that's the only reason we gave them the Iran deal. Uh, And they're going to continue to make. But at this point, when Trump pulled out the Iran deal, you've now set into motion. Not only did it pull out, but he also reimposed every sanction and added more sanctions. Um, made it extremely hard for Iran to even trade with with anybody. So we're now putting sanctions on any country that trades with Iran. So we're really you know, economically strangling them to the point where it's, it's, it's kind of coming to a powder keg, uh, and it could, it could explode um, in a very negative way to the region. And so, and even hurt in a place like Israel, that I think the whole idea of, of pulling out the Iran deal was, was because you wanted to stand by Israel, but having that, having Iran destabilized and having the area, you know, potentially be taken over by an even more radical group um, could potentially even harm Israel more. So I, yeah. I don't know but what the rationale if, behind Yeah, but then what, what, you, what happens is you can come in and make a deal with that new Matt radical, that, that new radical thing. He might that new that new leader might be a mad dog, but he'll be a mad dog on a leash. And at the end of the day, that. you do. Well, you we, want to we, know why? Because in recent, in recent years, after after these revolutions, after these you know you know country falling apart, uh, we've seen more radicals take over. We've seen ISIS emerge because it's um, good. Be, here, here's why. To hate America, hate Israel. You know, here's why these though. Things you know appear. But here's here's the reasoning as to why, is because whoever becomes a leader is going to know that it's a lot better to be king and alive than to be trying to mess with the U.S. To be honest, like they're not going to try and do anything against the U.S. or do it against anything against Israel because they know the consequences. They do. They would. It's just like North Korea. North Korea is not going to ever really launch a nuke at the U.S. Ter- because terrorists, you know, hate, hate, hate people who hate. Don't really care about the consequences, you know. Especially we've seen that a lot with like radical Islam, where they don't like they they, they think they're going to a better place, you know, with when they kill themselves or when they commit these acts, you know, they think they're going to a better place. So we've seen that a lot with with the radical Islamists, um, and I just don't see a situation where a peaceful person comes to power in Iran. If, if it were to be a revolution or it were to fall apart, I don't see okay, a but organization in charge. Answer because, me this because then. Because they are so anti-Western and anti-Israel in Iran. You, answer me this then. The leader of Iran. Does he seem like a pretty non-radical person right now? The leader of Iran, is it? Yeah. Uh, he's 
Exactly. So we put a leash on him by giving him money. We'll be able to do the same to any other mad dog that takes his seat. They do. They want us to release the, they want to, they want to, what they want is a new deal with more money and they want us to, they want us to release the sanctions as well. And, but here, here's my thing though. You can't have what they're like, they can't be doing what they're doing and expect no consequences. Well, that's, that's a huge problem is that now you put someone like Trump, I think he's, now, I, I've seen he's actually more measured than I thought he was. And, and he's actually, you know, weighing in every decision, especially when it comes to war. I appreciate that. But you're putting him in a very tough situation where Iran's going to keep doing these things. And it's going to, like, eventually, he's going to have to say, I have to do something about it. And it's going to start another war with Iran. And, and it's going to be, you know, way worse. Like, I don't know if you know Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, uh, you know, Iraq veteran, you know, running for Democratic president, mm-hmm. um, running for Democratic candidate uh, for presidency. And, I mean, she talks about it all the time. Like, she, uh, the war in Iran would be far worse, far more devastating on, on American lives than any war in Iraq or Afghanistan wars. Um, and take way longer, way more money. Um, it would be absolutely horrible. Yeah, but I don't think and, Trump and, wants uh, to go to war. I think what, I don't think he wants not. to do it at, I don't think he wants to do that at all. Um, I think he's. But, but my, what I'm saying is that he's going to be put in a very tough situation where he's going to have to decide to retaliate on these things, and he's going to probably, if he doesn't want war, he's going to have to pretty much ignore a lot of it. Uh, and I think it's putting us into a tough situation where it's kind of making it hard to avoid war with Iran. I, I think that's very scary. I don't think anything will happen. I think what they need to do is they need to stop. I think what honestly will happen is Trump will do him some deal where he'll give them X amount of money and they'll stop doing their nuclear thing. That's that's truly what's probably going to happen here. I mean, I, I, I have no way of you have no way of knowing. I, mean, I don't know what's going to happen. It's the unpredictability and the instability that I don't like because then we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we're much more likely right now to end up in war with them. And then you know, send have to send you know, troops over there to, to die, and have or have them attack Israel or something like that. Then we would have been if, if we would have stayed in the in the in the deal, or renegotiate the deal. Like we didn't necessarily need to leave. We could have just you know asked 
Okay, so then let me ask you. Let me ask you. Let me ask you this. What was the reasoning for Trump pulling out of the Iran deal? Uh, I think he was pressured by uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia and by uh, the people around him that that want war with Iran, like uh, like Bolton, like his national security director, you know, Bolton, uh, and a lot of the other war hawks that he he surrounded himself with. People and lots of other congressmen who it appears that you know the majority of congressmen, people in government, would like to go to more wars, which is kind of crazy. Like they always talk about, like we've spent years, you know, in war with Afghanistan. The troops in Afghanistan were still not pulled out. We had Iraq. We're in Yemen. We're sending strikes over to Yemen. We have troops, in, you know, helping out in Syria. You know, it, uh, we're we're perpetually at war. Because it makes money for people, and because uh, we end up helping people like Saudi Arabia, um, who we depend a lot on for our oil money, you know, because they've set us to be on to, to the American dollar as the international trading um, currency for oil. So a lot of the reasons that all that stuff put together is why there's pressure on Trump. Or we don't get that much oil for, from Saudi Arabia. No, no, no. It's not about the oil to get It's about them. Saudi Arabia is like the main, you know, country in OPEC. And Saudi Arabia has, since like the 80s or 70s, set the international trading currency for oil via OPEC as the, the U.S. dollar. So any, com- any country that, that, you know, wants to trade oil in the Middle East is trading it under the U.S. dollar currency. So, because, uh, and that's been that, you know, Saudi Arabia has, you know, pretty much unilateral you know, control over And, uh, that's when that, as, as America, it stabilizes our, our currency, and it allows us to put, uh, sanctions on countries far more, like, that have far greater of an effect. So, it allows us to control more. So, as a country, and, and, uh, we, we don't want to lose that type of thing. So, because of that, any, like, so even Trump, before he came into office, was pretty hard on Saudi Arabia. They're saying the same thing about Saudi Arabia. Obama said the same thing. They come into office and they're pushing to Saudi Arabia because it's a very important ally for us in, 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 on an international scale. What's o- OPEC? Is, is it a Saudi Arabia company? What is it? Why OPEC are they controlling like a, it? It's a conglomeration of, um, you know, oil fields and uh, mostly out of Saudi Arabia that controls, that has since like the 60s controlled the majority of oil in the world. I mean, now it's not as, as drastic, they don't have as much control, but they, um, they still set standard as far as like trading goes. And, um, yeah, that, I think it was under Nixon um, or Reagan. Uh, they were able to talk to Saudi Arabia and them to trade, you know, trade oil in the U.S. dollar, and that stabilized our economy, stabilized our dollar um, to where it's not you know, it's a huge influx of cash for us and allows us to, you know, put, like I said, more sanctions on countries, uh, you know, because if, they're, if they have to have the U.S. dollar to trade, if we're able to control countries more. Uh, and put sanctions on that. So then the Saudi Arabia... Which is a reason why 
so Saudi Arabia must have gotten something out of it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know the exact history behind it, but no, I know that'll be something. The, that'll the, be something. The petrodollar, the petrodollar is traded under the U.S. dollar. That'll be something that I look up on my on my own time. Um, so, uh, well, we're we're nearing up here on the end of our our time. So I will keep. I want you on. Uh, another time down the road, um, we can talk like life outside of Earth. I think we could have a big topic on that. Um, oh yeah. So I want to kind of wrap up here with you, uh, just briefly. Um, so I do like to end my show with uh, a "Would You Rather" type of series. Um, so I have. A couple of questions, or a couple would you rather's, and um, we can uh, kind of discuss these. So, my first one to you is: Would you rather be stranded in the Sahara Desert or the Rocky Mountain, or like the uh, yeah, the Rocky Mountain forest? Dude, that's tough because like mountain lions in the Rocky Mountain. I don't want to get attacked by a mountain lion. And there's a good chance you're nowhere near civilization as well. Yeah, but I think, honestly, I'm, I'm going to go with, with the Rocky Mountain. Just because I feel like you'd be able to last longer. Like, there's water sources. Like, I'd be able to, like, hide. No, I don't know. Like, in the desert, like, you just you die so fast with dehydration. Like, you just wouldn't be able to last very long. Um, That's a very good point. So I'm definitely going to go Rocky Mountain on that one. I agree, and I think eventually, you know, if you find a stream of water, you just keep following it. I think you're, high, I think you're more than likely to find civilization. Uh, although, honestly, who knows? Because in the Rocky Mountains, I mean, you're talking, you could be hundreds and hundreds of miles away from people, like hundreds of miles. Uh, but I do well, agree. Well, No, no, no. I, I, I agree, and that's where I, I agree with you. I do think I'd rather be. I'm I, I'm assuming you know I'm obviously the one who made the question, so I'm gonna say this. Actually, not assume it. Uh, you're gonna die either way. <laughs> uh, you're stranded. Uh, I think I would rather do the forest. I think your chances are, you know, I think you know if you happen to know your yeah, berries. I guess you like Tarzan, man. Yeah, exactly. Be one with nature. I can I can survive. I, I mean, probably not me actually, because I don't have any survival skills, but. Let's say I I, uh, I had some more survival skills. I was like Bear Grylls or like Rampus. I'd probably survive. How how many days in the desert do you think you would last? Oh, not very long. I'm like, like I need a lot of water, man. I would probably last like a day or two. I don't know. <laughs> Straight up. But, <laughs> you think you'd die in two days? I don't know how I would last, man. Like that water, I, I, just, I would just die, man. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be fun. I would just, you know... I think I could last in the desert. I think I could last like five days if I was in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Uh, I think I could last five days Um, in in like the Rockies. I think I got if I got lucky. I think I could get um, a. a month, but realistically, I'm probably getting two and a half weeks before I die. Yeah, I was saying a couple weeks. A couple weeks. Yeah. 
Unless you know, or you maybe eat, like, a, some raw food or something, or, or yeah, by a, a mountain lion or bear. I think probably more likely I'm gonna die of hypothermia, just not being able to keep my shelter water free or anything like that. Um, unless I found like a cave, um, I I would say I'm probably more likely gonna die of hypothermia. Uh, okay, so my last one is. Uh, Oh, okay. So, would you rather be your the second coming of whatever sport you're playing? Like you're like the next Zion, or you're you know you're the the Zion Williamson or a LeBron James type. You are the second coming of whatever sport, but your first professional game, you blow both your knees out. Oh shit! So like, am I able to recover? You just, you come back, you're just never the same player, you become a journeyman, and, you know, you never really do anything well. I mean, what, uh, you, like a Greg, option? you know what? You're, like a Greg Odin. <laughs> like, what, what, what was the other option? Um, or, you are a journeyman your whole life for six years in the NBA, you're just the 12th man, last on the bench, but one game due to injuries, you get to play... And you drop twenty five, five and five. Yeah, definitely that one, man. <laughs> I'm gonna take that one. I, I got more longevity. I'm probably making more money overall. I don't know. Not if you're in the next LeBron. Like LeBron, LeBron in two thousand three signed a twenty million dollar uh, signing bonus with Nike. Like you're, you're probably you're you're making league minimum if you're twelfth man on the bench. You're. You're making like six hundred thousand a year, where I made twenty million off of a signing bonus. I, I think I'm still going with the, the journeyman, man. That, that would be bad. If I got a good team, but won a championship and Spurs or something, I'll take that. But I'll, I'll get a few threes off the finals, and I don't know. Like no, you wouldn't. You would never play. Finals. You would just be the twelfth man. You would be going from team to team. You would never play, but one game. Oh, I would never play. You would never play. You're the 12th man. The 12th man on the bench, like, never plays unless they're blowing a team out by 48. They never play. Like, how often did Patrick McCaw play this year for the Raptors? Like, fucking never. Yeah, hardly ever, you're right. Yeah. Um, But one game due to injury, you got to come out and you dropped 25 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and you had a great game. Um, But, you know... And then I retired immediately after that. Yeah. um, Where... (laughs) I see. I choose. I'm gonna choose. You're the next coming. Uh, and the reason being is like there's just so much financial benefit from it too. Like you, you're more than likely you're signing a, ja- a gigantic shoe deal or with a shoe company. You're getting a massive signing bonus. Um, you're probably before you even played your your first game, you've already made forty million. And then I would say. After that happens, you could then write a book. You could do a 30 for 30 on what could have been. I mean, just all this, just so lucrative. Uh, Well, hey, um, man, I I appreciate you finally coming on my show. I know. uh, Yeah, man. Well, hey, man. uh, Take it easy. Uh, I'm excited for our trip, and uh, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, man. All right. Bye. All right, take it easy. Bye.